Matt, maybe I'm just losing touch. I don't I don't think I have a good sense of what's going to be a hit product anymore. Like I thought Chromebooks would be a total flop and now they're doing better than ever. They're doing so good now. We have these these HDMI sticks are going crazy. And well, uh yeah. And I'll, you know, if we're, yeah. No what? I mean, I just uh, you know, if you, I mean, if, if you, you want to touch on that now, I can kind of share yeah, my I'm thoughts. Yeah, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Okay, I mean, I think the the without getting too deep into it, I think it, really comes down to, remember Zombu? Remember yeah. the promise of Zombu? You know, I mean, garbage hardware with a really cool idea. Basically, you know, it was like Gen 2 with a twist. Um, you know, it, people really liked that idea, and having experienced it, when I saw Chromebooks come about, the idea of that, if most of their stuff is stored in something that they can basically set their, you know, it's, it's idiot-proof, it's essentially, and I use air quotes for this, virus malware-free. Oh, yeah, um, you know, it, it's it's basically it's it's what should have been happening all the friggin' long. I mean, it's like I watch Apple and Microsoft do this for years, and it's like it's 2015, and their products are still stupid easy to break. So, really easy. So that's all true. Is, this is know. dumb. This is like dumb, like easy, easy. But yeah, aren't people we, like easy. So, how, how are we? How do we avoid like? Uh, so here's what I'm looking at, Matt. Is that so? You you, you use this a little hindsight here. I'm seeing. I'm seeing one, two, three, uh, four. If you uh, five, so now with the Chrome bits, five different yeah. manufacturers of these that are six. Sorry, seven manufacturers that have products that are coming out to the market right yeah. now. Uh, one of them is Google. One of them is Intel. Obviously, those ones probably have the biggest uh, chance of succeeding. But this is getting awfully complicated. Uh, this is looking like a mess and another race to the bottom. It is a race to the bottom in a sense, but it's also catering to the market of people that well, are well, currently. What people though? We haven't seen anybody you know, that wants to do this yet. Do you, know, you I really think, I, think people want to burn an HDMI port on their TV? Because first of all, who's H- who has enough HDMI ports on their TV? I don't. Well, I think I think the stick's an idiot idea. Now, that, to be clear on that, I think that's. I mean, well, not, that's not necessarily true. If it would work on a monitor, like yeah. not a television, lots of monitors have plug- HDMI. Yeah, yeah, then that would make sense. But if you're plugging it into a TV, is just stupid beyond imagination. I mean, there's, it's not an Android device that would actually allow you to participate in media. I don't it's know. I mean, like you got a, a Plex. Computer. You put Plex on uh, there and up in that business. Yeah, I mean, but, it works on the Fire Stick, so. You know, but it's, there's the divide between it. geek and casual users is wider than ever, and it's and it's getting to a point where it's making me scream because it's like the reason why the Linux on the desktop it continues to drag its knuckles, in my opinion, is because people dig in harder and harder, and, and they you know become archier and archier, and it's <laughs> well, it just isn't that hard and herpa herpa herpa, and it's like yeah, it's not that hard for me to change my oil, know how to do it, not going to, you know, I mean, lots of people know how to do lots of things, but it doesn't mean everyone wants to do that. All right, not everyone right. wants to learn. You know, what do you think, Rodden? Yeah. I was just going to say that the the HDMI sticks are fantastic if it's like an embedded device, like a media device or something. Sure. But if you're in yeah, yeah, computer, that could be, that, that could be cool. that's going to swear it falls short. Daredevil, so, are you going to add something? I think Canonical, because they already are dealing with conversions, are going to be the most to benefit from this. Hmm. Because think about it. You know, Your the device yeah. is... People are already t- like there was yes it was mainly Linux focused the 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 will to get an, an Ubuntu device that you can maybe dock it and have your desktop. Uh, Matt, That's the business side. Matt, Google's going to roll this, isn't it? Well, so here's the problem. It's like I mean I would say for um, post Google like people that are not going to participate in the Google atmosphere. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know the Ubuntu stuff will absolutely rock and roll. For the re- the other ninety nine point nine percent of society, no. <laughs> it just no one you know especially here in the so, states now, i will say that in canada or overseas can yes, but, yeah. what can the device I, I, I give think, to you yeah. what is google giving to you google wants you to keep doing things online sure, Ubuntu sure. wants you to have the decision 
right. They the get marketing. There is, That's, yeah. yeah, yeah, but that hasn't prevented everybody from buying every Chromebook under the sun. Yeah, I mean, because at the end of the day, I would get more value from an Ubuntu device, as as would you, of yeah, course. Yeah, sure, I mean, I, sure, you know, all of us would. But, but unfortunately, when I turn on my television set, and or I don't have cable, but if I go to someone's house with cable – it's a Google commercial, or it's you know, or it's, it's Google stuff. It's all marketing. That's where Linux wow. and still but falls how down. How much more the fact easier that, you know. is it for you as a geek in the family? Give one of these little devices and say, "Hey, plug it on the TV." Versus giving them a that's computer right. with Linux installed exactly. and being the yeah. maintainer. That'll be our mission. That will be our yeah. call. Just and that's and that's a good ground. I think that's a good grassroots yeah. approach because that's know, the only way you can combat this stuff. Think really, about this. Really is uh, think about the opportunity here. As more and more monitors get HDMI ports, that yeah. old family call when you go over there for the holidays and fix up their Windows PC, and then later it was convinced them to install Linux. Now you just go over to their. You'll go over to their. You'll go to their house. You'll bring one of these HDMI things that's costing you sixty bucks or whatever they're going to cost. Pro- totally ready to go. All set up. You sit down, you plug yeah. into their old monitor, and when you leave, you take their old PC with you. And they're going to have a quad-core ARM yep. thing with you know two to four exactly. gigabytes of RAM and 64 gigabytes of storage. And you're going to have them store everything up on uh, some cloud storage that you like, and everybody's going to be happy. Well, and the sad part of it is, is that Google could be beaten tomorrow if boots on the ground would pull their heads out of their butts and actually get these devices in the hands of people. That's all it takes, <laughs> boots on the ground. Boots on but, the ground. you know, we're not there yet. That's the problem. Ryan, you wanted to add uh, something maybe you say is a bit controversial. Well, actually, I was just uh, t- wanted to bring up a topic that maybe we could cover today, uh, and that is whether or not Microsoft will buy a Linux company. Whoa! Uh, I well, yeah. all right. Well, we can. We, why don't we get to that in a little bit? I think the yeah, answer is no. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I think it, I think it's easier for them to just open a Linux division, as they probably already have to contribute the, uh, to the hypervisor, than buying a company. I think. I think. My, I think Microsoft would rather only ship software for iOS than touch the GPL that that much. But I mean, they'll dabble with it for for drivers and things like that. But I don't think they'd ever ship a product based on GPL. They, they would it. as a sock as a sock puppet as a sock puppet well, scenario. Yes, they would. Well, not not they, publicly. They would. They have the so many legal cases that they have they have brought against so many companies for their oh, use yeah. of Linux and intellectual properties. Maybe actually, maybe because they technically own that stuff, they would actually be just fine to use it. So maybe I don't know. It just seems like it would bring a lot of things into question. In, in Washington, I, they're one of the big Linux hiring people right now. Just saying. This yeah. comes up because I was watching how much they're cuddling up close. And I'm sorry to derail the topic. I think that the no, Chrome bits are non-starter, but uh, the I, they're cuddling up real close to Ubuntu with their cloud offerings. And maybe they just have to do that because Ubuntu is a big mm. player in you know those deployment and those situations. But but uh, it just got me thinking. You Wouldn't know, you say they- if they were going to buy up a uh, uh, a Linux vendor, it would be OpenSUSE. First of all, OpenSUSE is you know I mean OpenSUSE has a lot of government uh, incentive right now not to to be sold. OpenSUSE though has a very strong relationship with Microsoft. They have those. They have existing collaboration research labs, or at least they used to. Um, and additionally, they have a lot of great contracts like Walmart that Microsoft would love to be involved in. A lot of those contracts were sold in conjunction with the Microsoft virtualization platform. So they really go hand in hand. SUSE is often sold as like, if you want to use a Microsoft platform but have Linux virtual machines, use, Hyper- use uh, Hyper-V and, Open- and uh, SUSE Enterprise inside right. the virtual machine. And it's really been like the package. So it would be a great fit for Microsoft. Plus, to be honest with you, if you followed all- at all what's happening with the parent companies – of OpenSUSE and SUSE Enterprise, 
I, I mean, aren't they owned now by a company that does mainframe interface softwares? I can't remember now. Yeah, I think but let's so. talk about cloud cloud services and what what's been deployed. Uh, Ubuntu has been deployed all over the place. I think and, uh, uh, I think Amazon I think would never own that. I don't think Amazon would ever let Microsoft take Ubuntu away. There's too much EC2 running on top of Ubuntu. There's too many other services running on well, top of Ubuntu. At that point, they will just port. Hmm, so I guess the could. port option. I don't. I, I think if Microsoft was going to ever buy a Linux distribution, I think it's got to be Novell because they've got. Or I mean, it's got to be uh, Novell. It's got to be open. <laughs> it's got to be SUSE because they have all those deals from the Novell era. Yeah. It's, it seems like that would be the natural fit. I don't. And I don't think they'd ever buy a Linux distribution. I don't think they'd ever buy it. I think it's. They would basically do what they do with a lot of things, and it's yeah. a kind of a Disney Star Wars kind of scenario yeah. to where you start off by infusing capital into something. I could see that being maybe. Much more you know what I would see it as is I you would know, see it as a custom distro it. built to run on Azure. It'd be like the yeah. Azure Linux. It'd be like the Azure Linux reference platform or something, and yeah. it would be like I Linux agree. Linux as an API yeah. on Azure. Like abstract you yourself go. away from all Back of the challenges of Linux, and yeah. we'll have a managed <laughs> Linux system for you on Azure, and then and then eventually you'll be able to spin that up on a Hyper-V server on your own local LAN when they when they make I, the on-premises version. Chris, you're kind of we're doing it in your jokey voice. I, I don't think it's I don't like after kind of following them recently and thinking about it from this point of view, I don't think it'd be all that crazy if they did play somehow with Azure in the Linux game. And if that's a purchase or if that's just a really close partnership with somebody, I wouldn't, well, none of it would surprise I mean, they, me. They're gonna, they have the Azure stats. They're going to, I mean, maybe if anybody in the chat room has a link, maybe Microsoft publishes it, but I think they have a pretty respectable amount of Linux instances running on Azure right now. So they're going to watch do. that, you know, and they're going to know how many of those are Ubuntu kernels, how many of those are Red Hat Enterprise Linux kernels or CentOS or whatever the hell Microsoft offers. And they're going to be watching those numbers, and you know they've got to be thinking, well, geez, I don't really want to make Azure a platform to make Ubuntu a more dominant cloud platform. I mean, that's got to be on their yeah. mind, right? That's exactly where I was coming from. I saw some stats. I'm not sure they were the final stats or anything, but they had a ton of um, Linux you know, installations. And I have to think that the decision makers see that, and they're like, well, I don't know that we're going to unseat this with Windows, so that's where my speculation comes from. And so I thought I would just have that conversation with you because I think it's an interesting one to have. Yeah, good point. And, uh, you know, uh, if uh, it ever happens, somebody will find this clip up from episode 87 and be like, wow, <laughs> Ryan totally called it. <laughs> yeah, that looked good on my uh, track history. <laughs> Welcome to Linux Unplug, your weekly Linux talk show that's speed testing all of the mirrors like a maniac. My name is Chris. And my name is Matt. Hey there, Matt. You know, the first thing I got to do after I get a new installation is I get the reflector package installed, and then I go test all of the mirrors, and I got to make sure that I, I got to make sure I'm getting the best speed possible, right? And of course, all, for all I know, it's like random look at the draw that night. That's what the routes happen to work out, and I got a good connection. I could be getting like a horrible server for all I know, but I feel like... I feel like if I, if, I, if I make that as my first maneuver after a fresh install, then I'm setting myself up for the best beat for all the rest of the packages I have to pull down. I well, know. I think it also sets a tone for how yeah. the rest of your experience Boom. is going to end up. I am optimizing for performance, man. 
performance. Absolutely. So yeah, this week uh, on the uh, Linux Unplugged show, after we get through some follow-up for some very interesting stories that actually managed to break between Sunday and Tuesday uh, that are relevant to things and topics we have followed up on and covered on this show for a long time. We'll cover those uh, real quick, plus uh, a real quick Linux Fest Northwest update coming up, and then the new Dell XPS 13 Developer Edition, the version that of the laptop that I bought but is actually targeted for Linux users. We'll tell you about that and maybe what's the difference and sort of something they've done differently and why us U.S. purchasers are going to be a little jelly. So that'll be coming up. And then later in the show, I'll talk about my number one boo, my baby, my bae. I think that's actually what the kids say now. Uh, it's my Linux rig. My number one office workstation uh, died over the weekend. Ooh. And I might have gotten bit by a bug that a lot of you could get bit by if you are upgrading to kernel 3.19 and you use, you use ButterFS. So uh, I'll tell you about that coming up in the show and uh, get everybody's input on what I should do on a fresh install because I'm kind of curious. I'm, I'm going totally different file systems, totally different hard drive uh, setup, uh, different software stack to, to some degree. So I'll tell you about what I've done so far and what some of the great advice I've gotten, some of the packages that I've loved people have submitted uh, to our subreddit that I should install. So all of that will be coming up including the case for my new file system, which I think you guys may be interested in. And then uh, in the latter half of the show, a couple of guys from, don't call it the Evolve OS project, no, no, call it Solus, Solus? Well, I'll get the actual pronunciation from them uh, coming up in a little bit. That's right. Uh, the very distro we talked about last week ran into some troubles, and it was no April Fool's, at least I don't think. And they've had to rename their project and uh, rename their community, and uh, we'll get the straight skinny on them. And what happens when a little distro... Gets the hard legal, the hard hand of the law, the legal strong arm, whatever the hell that is. So it's a big, this isn't even, this is, I know you call this unplugged, Matt. This feels pretty plugged, but that, that tells It feels you. quite plugged. It yeah. also feels like they got, almost got plugged. I mean, yeah, really. I mean, they, we'll find know, out. Legally speaking, anyhow. <laughs> hey, oh, that's a good one, Matt. Uh, I just wanted to cover a couple of really quick follow up stories before we jump into some of the topics. Uh, on this Sunday's Linux Action Show, we uh, got to see uh, Noah go behind the scenes on uh, some of his uh, client calls and resolve some wireless issues, and all li- using Linux and supporting Linux in, in these businesses. And uh, go figure, of course, timing had to be the way it is. Uh, one of the software uh, packages that we featured in there for uh, managing the Wi-Fi ubiquity uh, has come out and getting in with uh, getting in trouble for GPL violation. This is a post over at uh, LibertyBSD.net. And there we go. Get it nice and framed for you guys in the video version. And they've uh, they've identified a couple of different ways that they appear to be maybe even willfully violating the GPL. I haven't totally looked into this yet, but I just want to give you a disclaimer. As a piece of software we did mention in the show yesterday, there has been a bit of hoopla that came up as a result. And so I want to make the audience aware for it. And I'll have a link to that in the show notes. If if you saw Ubiquity, which looked pretty awesome, and Matt uh, – I don't know if you uh, saw, caught the uh, the uh, piece that uh, Noah did, but uh, in there he's using Ubiquity to essentially, I believe, uh, centrally manage a bunch of Wi-Fi access points and create one flat Wi-Fi network where access points are distributed throughout a hotel building, but it's all one continuous network so people can move around and they automatically can provision each other and, 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 and increase and decrease uh, signal strength so there's not too much overlap. And uh, Wow. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty amazing piece of, uh, of software. But uh, it seems to keep falling into problems. Uh, so uh, actually, it looks like uh, Ver- Vertinda has used this before. So let's bring in the Mumble Room. Hey, Mumble Room, time of probes, greetings, and uh, welcome to Linux Unplugged. Hey, guys. Hello. 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 So let's start with uh, Vert there. So Vert, you've uh, used this before. And uh, no, we're not talking about the Ubuntu installer, are we? 
Bert, that was your cue, man. You said you had something to say. Yeah, oh. yeah I'm sorry. Oh, <clears throat> yeah. Uh, no, I have used it before uh, in a private school with a friend of mine who's the IT manager. And the cool thing about uh, Ubiquity, apart from the price and the reliability of it, mainly, uh, is it does have this really quite nice management console that's available for Windows and for Linux. Mm. And it gives you things like, you know, uh, one-click deployment and uh, automatic uh, configuration and stuff like that. The only thing that I was a little bit concerned about, though, is how it does this. Because the only way it can possibly do it out of the box when you take uh, one of these new devices and you put it on the network is it must have some sort of SSH key that the server uses to log into whichever device it finds to be able to configure it properly. Because it seems to automatically do that, Carol, without any kind of authentication. I wonder if it just so, – uh, is, it, is it not just like a uh, a boot, uh, like a DHCP boot thing where it like boots up off the network and it uh, gets a firmware from the uh, – from the central control machine, and uh... no, because it can be it can be um, activated the on a closed network by hmm. once firewalled out from the outside. Oh, interesting! And this is the, this is the weird this is the weird thing about it. So I, I, I suspect again, okay, I was going to put a Wireshark uh, monitor on it, but we were pressed for time when we installed these stuff. But I suspect okay, right, that it uses something like a secure shell key to log into the device, okay, right, to configure it, or to yeah. get some sort of configuration information that it pulls them from the server. Well, I suppose we probably would have the answer just out there in the audience. So if anybody out there in the audience knows and uh, wants to follow up with us, uh, we'd be curious. How do they do that? How do they do that provision even when it's behind a firewall? That's a good question. Uh, I got one more follow-up story. Uh, this one's definitely a show me the money. We've talked about CoreOS, and I think it's a pretty cool project, and they're getting even more money now. CoreOS has raised $12 million. Twelve. The CoreOS distribution is $12 million. $12 million is pretty respectable. Wow. Yeah. Uh, they announced $12 million around funding as well as a new product called Tectonic that is based on Google's Kubernetes. I don't know what that is. Sorry, sorry. Kubernetes. What's Kubernetes, guys? Anybody know what that is? Kubernetes. Kubernetes. What is it, guys? How come I don't know about it? <laughs> Nobody no, knows? Yeah. Apparently no one knows. Okay. <laughs> it's like a well, it's an open source. I don't know it's apparently an open source project for container <laughs> orchestration, but I have no idea. Like, if it's like, I guess it must work with like different or- containers. I guess I, I don't know. Sounds like marketing speak. Yeah, I'm sure it's like it manages all the different container tech, and everybody's got to make their own container orchestration system. And of course, Google's got to make their own. Uh, <clears throat> CoreOS is now sit- sitting at a total of twenty million in funding. Uh, it doesn't surprise me at all, actually. Considering that Greg is participating in that project, yeah. he's just, you know, the stable release kernel maintainer. Anyone wants to jump on that. Yeah, yeah, they got they got great people behind it. They have a pretty clear idea, and they've actually got a pretty important problem they're trying to solve, too. Oh, Kubernetes.io, thank you. Uh, oh, okay, well, I'm going to take a look at that right now. You know, this is what I love about having a freaking chat room. How cool is this? Thank you, Miker89. I will definitely read up on this. So manage a cluster of Linux containers as a single system to accelerate dev and simplify ops. Ooh, boy, doesn't that feel good? Mm. Mm. Ooh, let's do it again. Manage a cluster of Linux containers as a single system to accelerate dev and simplify ops. Oh, that's good. <laughs> good job, dude. That's really nice. So, yeah, I'll check that out after the show. Thanks very much. I'll try to put a link to that in the show notes, too. Uh-huh. Well, you know, good for CoreOS. And uh, I wonder if uh, it puts any heat on Docker. Because uh, remember, CoreOS is working on Rocket and uh, some things that kind of are a bit competitive with the Docker group. So in a way, it's sort of also kind of helping seed some uh, some compet- competition to the Docker guys. Well, there's one thing for Unless Docker guys screw it up, uh, they have the market <laughs> yeah. first yeah. Uh, thing. And they already have the 
this initial work to get it actually working on Windows and Mac, and that is an appealing thing for a lot of people. Yeah, I totally agree about. I totally agree with you on there. Docker's already got the market. They've already got sort of the industrial support. They've already got Red Hat behind them. They've got Microsoft behind them. They've got the staffing, the funding, but that doesn't mean there isn't room for an alternative. Um, and uh, and and if you think about it from like uh, from the standpoint of some of these big infrastructure shops, you're definitely going to want some competition out there. Yeah, I don't yeah, know definitely. Like the fact that I wouldn't like if Docker was completely like overwhelmingly the the choice because then you know they would kind of they would corner the market and they would control it right and you know not saying that they would do anything wrong but you know you know the whole well, absolute power thing well Ryan you so, have Ryan you have concerns about Docker right yeah the uh, apparently just the way Docker's built there there are quite a few uh, innate security vulnerabilities which I think in their defense they're trying to address but Rocket thinks it can it can really uh, beat out Docker there, and and Do- Rocket is the container technology that CoreOS is working on, and they, they think they can make the best case to enterprises saying we're way more secure than this is way more secure than Docker, and so if you're going to trust somebody, trust us, and that's really where they where somebody needs to win is in the enterprise yeah space. I wonder I actually if don't they- oh go ahead so I. Sorry, but I, I see what I see as the what is the market value proposition of you know CoreOS and Rocket versus Docker is that it includes a lot of kernel maintainers, and so if there is a need to change in the kernel, it's easier done through that project mm, than through Docker. That is a nice advantage. Which then, yeah. the, yes, that's I think that's the the market proposition that they, have, they compared have compared with Docker. Hmm. But other than that. Ham, you you're, uh, Ham, you have some feedback, so go ahead and uh, I want you to mute your mic until you get that sorted out there. Yeah, uh, thank you. Other than that, honestly, Docker already has a market share, yeah. and it already has a product that is working. Well, so and I I kind of go with what the chat room is saying though. Docker has even if even if um, you know, let's just pick a company like Rackspace. Let's say Rackspace decided we're going to standardize on Rocket. And uh, you can use Docker if, if you want to roll your own system with you know different Rackspace options. But you know they're going to standardize on Rocket. But I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe some big infrastructure companies go rocket. And then when people are discussing standardizing software development, when people are on Red Hat Enterprise 7, but they need to develop for also Red Hat Enterprise 5, uh, when people need to distribute software across their network on Linux boxes of different uh, versions, I think Docker could play a pretty significant role there. Would people want to roll infrastructure on top of these containers? I think Rocket might play a more significant role there, potentially. Maybe that'll have to be how it shakes out. Here's the other thing. I'm not 100% sure, and I haven't inspected myself like I did with Docker on how actually Rocket implements certain measures, but Docker does have this thing that the distribution still plays a role, right? Uh, you still have the Ubuntu Docker, and you still have the uh, Fedora Docker container. What happens to the distribution if Rocket decides to go the other way? I'm not sure. Maybe mm. then the distribution matters less, and if you're... Uh, point of sale is, you know, bringing these experience together. You want to promote that environment. Let me uh, tell you why why it's important in, in any respect is, for instance, we here where I work uh, run most of the websites in, in uh, for libraries in Kansas. So unless they're a really big library, they host their website with us. And the problem has become that 
everybody wants to run something different. Some people want to run <laughs> WordPress, they want Drupal, some people want to run, you yep. know, random stuff yep. over here. And they require different versions of PHP or yes. they require different stacks. In Ruby, the, yeah. different <laughs> versions of everything. And then they want web apps. They're like, can't we offer genealogy web apps? Woo! Can't we offer et cetera, et cetera. And so what we're having to do is instead of spinning up a new VM every single time somebody wants you know, some new web application spun up at all of these libraries. Instead, I just use, you know, some hosts or core OS at the moment. And, and then I sped up whatever, you know, container is on but that. I give that to them. I say, it's yours, do what you want with it, you know, and nice. uh, if if you break it, it's, it's yours, you know. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, but when you look at the, how many developers are developing, targeting something, it's easier to, at least at this moment, at, and from what I've seen, more people are targeting Docker. Now, these may be wrong. These may be just a misinterpretation of no, the I data think, that No, I think it's pretty clear. Uh, and I think it'll probably right. remain like that for a while. All right, well, that's probably enough container discussion for one episode because I know half the audience probably doesn't give a crap about containers, and the other half does. And so hopefully we've entertained at least one half. Um, but I find it to be uh, obvious that uh, the Linux container space, for some reason, is on fire, even though BSDs and Solaris have had it for uh, a long time. just goes to show you, it doesn't matter. I, I don't know what it is. Like, they just, like, they don't get the traction. Like, the people just don't care. But Linux does it. All of a sudden, it's a huge deal. It's a multi-million dollar industry, and you've got multiple different companies now that are getting multi-million dollar fundings uh, and inspiring weeks. Because of GPI. Yeah. Maybe because, maybe because of the GPL, I don't know. Maybe. <clears throat> it's, but it's very interesting because I know the BSD guys are going like, um, hello, jails, <laughs> guys, anybody? And then the Solaris guys are like, yeah, well, we had uh, zones uh, back in the 90s, back when you guys were learning arithmetic. We were putting stuff up in zones. So I don't know. I think it's just, uh, I think it's just the fact that uh, Linux has the traction. It's sort of like Linux has the market advantage. Linux is the cloud OS for the world. Uh, yeah, Docker Hub doesn't hurt either. Right. That makes a big difference. You're right. And, you know, I will add, and this I think is, I think Docker proves to us how critical, and now Rocket too, but Docker, let's start, stay with Docker. Docker proves to us how critical closing that 10% gap is. Taking what can be set up by an admin with comp files and some kernel features and closing that uncanny valley to where it is automated and I'm checking things in and out sort of Git style and I can, I, you know, I, it has an API I can write to and a community around it and a company. All of those things are fundamentally important to market adoption. And I, I believe that is why the BSDs never closed the gap. They never got excitement because there was just that 10%. And that is so often in open source where we get. We get almost all the way there, 90%. We, all of us in the community, we see the, the beauty of it. And we'll put it in production. It'll be in production for years. Look at, look at jails in production for years. JupiterBroadcasting.com has been running in a BSD jail for like three years now, right? I mean, it has been a thing in production for a long time time nobody gives a crap because honestly they didn't close the 10 percent. i think that makes the difference in my that's i suspect and we can obviously yes it's gpl yes it's linux yes it's the market adoption of linux all of these are core components but making it something that i could i mean just as an example i've never demonstrated setting up a jail or a linux container you know i've never 
shown you the power of LXC on the Linux Action Show before. But when Docker was a brand new spanking thing, one of the first things we did is I sat down with my Archbox and I set up an Ubuntu environment in my Archbox. And I was like, check this out. And I do it by doing this. And then I issue this command and it starts the environment. And I issue this command and it starts an application in that environment. And it thinks it's on an Ubuntu box, but it's actually on an Archbox. And I, that was that was impressive because you could wrap your brain around it. It was productizable, and that made the difference. And I think now, here we are, a couple of years later, and, and these guys are making millions of dollars. So basically you're saying that it's a matter of being presentable. Option A, option yep. B, which one is presentable to a VC? Closing that <laughs> you know, gap, right. Well, what, making it usable. Making it usable by more people, by, by closing that gap. They, 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 they broke through several layers of markets, right? They went through the high, they, they broke through the very high end sysadmin to your average sysadmin, even your own frickin' enthusiast to your employee who works at Red Hat, who's not even really all that, he's a sales guy, but he knows he's gotta use Red Hat, so he used, now he's using Docker to your developer level, right? And you broke through all of these different markets when you made it that much easier. And that was what it took. But that's the hardest part is that final 10%. Well, and 90% of sales is presentation. Boom. It's prophetic. It's just amusing. That's man. Oh, I just love it. All right. Well, uh, before we go too far, actually, this would be a good spot to mention DigitalOcean. You know, they'll take, they'll, they use the hell out of Docker and also CoreOS. In fact, they work directly with the CoreOS project. They, I guess CoreOS provides these official channels to uh, platform providers like DigitalOcean. I, I mean, I might be getting some of the terminology wrong, but this is kind of my rough understanding, is they have these different channels. And uh, so DigitalOcean is like, they get it straight from the tap. They get it right from the tap, core, from the CoreOS project. And then uh, what's beautiful about the CoreOS design is obviously you continue to roll the base OS, keep the applications in a container. Bob's your uncle, you're not even worrying about your application breaking. Meanwhile, your security updates are getting applied. It's a beautiful thing. Now, let me tell you a little bit about DigitalOcean, sponsor of the Linux Unplugged program, because I want you to go over there and try them. It's really awesome. They're all based on Linux, using KVM for the virtualizer, SSDs for the I.O., so you have super fast I.O., tier one bandwidth, the data centers all over the world. That's DigitalOcean in a snapshot. But what's really important is the value. Value. It's it's crazy. So keep two things in mind as we go forward. All Linux powered, SSD powered, right? Boom. That's gosh, it's hot. And actually, here's a third thing. We can get you two months for free with DO Unplugged. So I guess keep three things in mind. DO Unplugged too. So what is DigitalOcean? They're a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way for you to spin up your own cloud server that you're going to get root access with an HTML5 console. You're going to be able to start in less than 55 seconds. Seriously. And pricing plans? Or only $5 a month. That's your starting price. They'll get you 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, one CPU, and a terabyte of transfer. And their pricing plans are really logical. They just step up from there. Really simple. And they have data centers in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, and London. You just get to pick from them. They're gorgeous. But it's really the DigitalOcean interface. This is, this is, the, this is the final piece. I was just talking about closing that 10%. This is, this is the same exact thing. Right? They recognize that KVM is incredible and that Linux is a great platform to build a business on top of. Okay, that's not, that's not very much of a surprise to anybody listening to this show. That's kind of obvious. They recognize that incredibly fast data center connections are going to be key to a finicky audience. Okay, a little bit more insight required there, but not too surprising. That's pretty good. I'll give them credit, though, for making sure they got that part right. But the part that they really figured out is you can have all of those things, but if you don't make it insanely easy to do it, and also very accessible. So they've made a very straightforward API. In fact, they just launched version 2.0 of their API, and they give you access to everything you can do in the control panel. And the community's already done a ton of stuff around this API, so you can just take advantage of it if you're just like a lazy schmo like I am. I'm not going to write anything to the API. I don't need to. 
But this is where they closed the gap. They took the Linux technology, they took SSDs, they took those incredible data centers, and they wrapped it all together in this amazing intuitive control panel. And you can replicate this control panel with that API. So if you've never even wanted to use it, you could just plug it into your existing management infrastructure or just write bash scripts all day long. I hear from people that they just integrate it into the pre-scripts before they run a, a system upgrade. So that way they have the API execute a system snapshot, and then the system snapshot completes, and then it continues on with the package manager upgrade. That's well, a pretty straightforward update, and this says it takes like 15 minutes to put together, and the script's available in the DigitalOcean community. You can go read all about it. Go over to DigitalOcean.com, and on top of all of that, they've got some of the best tutorials in the industry. They've hired editing staff to make sure they're top-notch, so you can really get a lot of value out of your droplet. DO Unplugged. Go use that. Get a $10 credit. Try out DigitalOcean two months for free. DigitalOcean.com. Big thanks to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Linux Unplugged program. You guys are awesome. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know it, Matt. Oh, I know it. So uh, I have been waiting for a long time to see the final version of the Dell XPS 13, developer edition as they call it, drop. Because I had made a, I took a big, big risk and I ordered the Windows edition, which I normally would never condone because I hate buying a Windows license. Sure. But I wanted to get on it early so that way by the time this laptop had hit... For the Linux users, I would hopefully have a good amount of time using this as a, you know, machine that I spend, you know, at least half my day on something, you know, where I can have a pretty substantial opinion on it as a machine. And of course, the, the first, the first flaw, the first wall I hit was the Wi-Fi. I just about to say, your first thing you do is yank out the Broadcom and put something yeah, into. I, I don't know. I don't know what it was. I don't. It was like yeah. Dell branded. I don't even know what it was. Really? I, I, uh, you know, it's a, it's probably a Broadcom chip. Yeah, so probably right. Yeah, and I yeah. think there was like a way to make it work if I downloaded yeah. some. Anyways. No, man. I just exactly. I just ordered uh, an Intel because it's PCI Express slots. You just pop yeah. off the bottom, and or, you know those little mini laptop PCI Express slots. And I just popped off the bottom. I put it, uh, an Intel seven thousand series Wi-Fi in there, which is a great chip uh, and includes Bluetooth and all that kind of stuff. So that was the main thing I ran into. But what I really wanted to start to get my head around was how how the hell does Linux do with high DPI displays? Because I think twenty fifteen is the year of high DPI. You got the uh, a lot of the different um, uh, high-end laptop lines are doing high DPI. you got some desktop lines that are doing it. Dell's got their 4K monitor. It's going to happen. I guess LG's been talking about an 8K monitor. They're getting into manufacturing now. 8K. So I really wanted to know how the XPS held up. And the prices are out. It's, for, it's available right now in the UK. It'll be available next week in the US. Damn it. Oh. Enjoy oh. that, guys. Ouch. So it starts at 949 for the base price, $949 US. You get an i5, uh, and then it, re- it works its way all the way up to 1849. Uh, then you get an i7, um, 3 gigahertz, 13.3 inch, which is uh, edge-to-edge display, which is pretty nice. They call it the Infinity Display. 512 gigabyte solid display, Intel graphics. Uh, it's the 550, so it's pretty good uh, graphics. I, I can, but here, I, so I can tell you. So if you're interested in getting this uh, laptop, this ships with Ubuntu 1404. Uh, I'll tell you this, a couple of things, it is definitely the best display I've ever seen on a laptop. It's sort of amazing. Uh, a few weeks into it now, I've I've just stopped kind of being like, holy God, this thing's incredible. But for the first <laughs> few weeks, I was like, this looks like a picture, like a painting is sitting in my screen. Wow. Yeah, it was wow. really. Wow. Yeah. Um, mm. You know, Linux is definitely not ready for high DPI. X seems to struggle with it. Um, a lot of applications don't look right in that, or they have some tweaking that needs to be done. In my opinion, GNOME 3 does the best job right now. Uh, I haven't tried Unity a lot too, but Unity seems to, from, from the discussions I have had with, had with the audience, Unity, you know, you go in there, it has a DPI slider, and it seems that seems to work pretty well for a lot of people. So I bet 1404 will look fine on it. Your applications will look tiny, though. Uh, 
See, that was my question. It's like it's like you could have the desktop environments just nailed down to a button, and that's great. But when you bring in an application that's incompatible, it just kind of feels like it defeats the purpose. I don't know. Yeah, you can't put more than eight gigs of RAM in it either. Uh, so All here's right. the other thing, Matt. Well, so okay. uh, you know, because everything's getting scaled up to such a high resolution that the, your your computer ends up working pretty hard. So normally, something that wouldn't really tax a tax a machine of of this level of power. Uh, ends up being a little more work than it nor- it should be. So, like playing a, if you play a video, like a YouTube video or something like that, your fans mm-hmm. kick on. Um, right. If you if you have a lot of text scrolling across the screen, and you know your fans kick on. Um, so it definitely is powerful enough for the whole uh, desktop environment to feel very accelerated. And the mm-hmm. performance wise, the desktop environment works well. I've been able to play some games okay. If I hook up a second monitor, I can't play any games. No game. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Some games like Torchlight 2 play just fine. Um, I've even been able to play Borderlands the pre-sequel on, on it. Uh, actually fairly successfully at full resolution with things Seriously? turned down. But yeah. I think uh, I think it's a very good laptop. I think it's well built. I don't. I still don't fully know if I would go with Dell. Uh, I, I has unfortunately for me a few drawbacks that uh, I haven't been able to fully resolve on my model. I don't know about the developer edition. For me, the sound is not currently working. I believe there is a way to fix that. I would suspect it's based on some grub flags and things like that. Maybe blacklisting a module. I would bet right. their Ubuntu edition already has that done. So it might be if it you were does. yeah. So if you're to wipe this, it might undo that. Um, you could go make that modification yourself. So like right now, my sound doesn't work. I don't really care because I use a USB sound card for anything I do seriously. So I I haven't fixed that. Uh, so that's one thing to consider. And also the trackpad, you can make again adjustments, but the trackpad's not awesome. I don't. I just don't like the way it feels. I don't like the way it clicks. I don't really like the size of it. It's just a little bit too small. And uh, every now and then. I just like it. It senses a touch when my hand is maybe is hasn't touched it, but it's hovering too close to the trackpad, like when I'm typing. And oh, it, I hate that. Yeah, it causes me to mess up constantly. And all of the extensions I have had tried to turn off the trackpad don't actually turn off the trackpad. I used to I have a touchpad script, and it's literally just a bash script you run that actually might help with that. I'll was, see if I can yeah, it. maybe that'd be cool. Yeah, send, send it to me if you have that. What was that, Poppy? Um, Barton's put on his uh, blog post that the A01 BIOS makes the trackpad a lot better. It's ah, perfect, I should totally do a BIOS update, huh? Yeah, Thank go. you. Good tip. Um, you know what? I'll, I'll tell you a couple of things. The battery life is pretty good. I think I get about seven hours or so. Um, they say 15 hours, I think, something like that on their website. They give you some real bullshit number. It feels lighter than 2.8 pounds. Is it dual core? Uh, well, it depends on which one you get, right? Because it has uh, i5 up to i7. I think all of the i7s are still dual core, though. Oh, really? Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, they do have anyone that's branded as an HQ in the i7 is going to be a quad. Anything with the U yeah. designation is going to be dual core. There you go. So, and then it's four with hyperthreading, I guess. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and your and the other thing I think is a little late, a little weak is your solid your sit at your your hard set at eight gigabytes of RAM, which is. Oh, that's kind of – I mean, I guess for – okay, for Joe Average, that's fine, but it's still limiting because you don't know where you're going to be a couple of years down the road. Yeah. Maybe you need more. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and uh, Popey, so how does, how does the whole SP1 thing work with Ubuntu? I, I, I think of it as – I think that's just that's just 1404.1. It's the point release that we do that has the hardware enablement kernel and updated XOR. That's just Dell lingo uh, for it then? Yeah, it's just what they, they've called. It's yeah, confusing. Windows I don't know why they do packs. that. Why confuse the yeah. – yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are you thinking about getting one? 
Uh, it's back on my list of possible laptops now that my ThinkPad's gone out of warranty. Yeah. It's, it's certainly on and, my list. And you are in like the, like the uh, corporate sanctioned purchase window, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Once, you, once you've been at Canonical three years, you get a chunk of change to uh, go and spend on whatever laptop you want. And so that's on my list, along with the, X, the ThinkPad X1 Carbon and a couple of others. I just got an email over the weekend that uh, I will be getting the uh, Librem Rev 2 soon. Ooh. Yes. Shoo. Uh, hey, Matt, Popey yeah. has a very interesting theory that he okay. shared with me today during Tech Talk today. Have you noticed? Have you been to elementary.io? Have you seen this? No, um, not. Actually, I think it was just the other day. Let me elementary.io has a countdown for three days, 18 hours, 17 minutes, and 33 seconds as we record this show. And uh, people have been sort of guessing what they think it is. Some people think it could be a Freya release. That would be my theory because, yeah. I mean, really, what else would it be? Wimpy, right? do you have any theories on uh, – on, uh, oh, Rotten, you were going to say something. Go ahead, Rotten. I'll let you put it out there first. Just state it. It, could be a, it just could be a new website release. Okay, new website. Okay, Wimpy, do you have a theory on what it could be? No, okay. Right. I just don't want – because I think um, – I'm just going to guess it's uh, RC1. Okay, RC1 says Josh. Okay, go ahead, Wimpy. Nothing. Oh, no, I, I don't have a theory. Okay. I've, I've no Hardware idea. Hardware partnership? No. All right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Poppy, go ahead. You say it, Poppy. You do it. Go ahead, Poppy. Say it. what you think it is. <laughs> so given that the Daniel Foray recently left System76 uh, to focus on elementary full-time, and bearing in mind that recently they landed something called Captive Login in elementary so that when you're in a, a cafe or... A hotel or airport or something it makes it easier for you to get through captive portal internet connections. That makes me think that they're doing a hardware partnership for a laptop. I think it's going to be a Ultrabook style, uh, beautiful laptop pre-installed with elementary. Mm, I think that's totally it. I think you nailed it when you mentioned that, of course, uh, wow. he, you know, uh, formerly worked at System76. Now he's working there. Uh, that adds up. And you look at what, uh, the good work that Wimpy's doing for the Ubuntu Mate project, where they're uh, going to have some hardware hopefully soon. And, of course, the Mint project has hardware. This is becoming a thing. Like, Pope, Pope, you have been observing this for a little while, and I think you're absolutely nailing it. Uh, this is a thing. And they, in all of their promo shots, they always have this very nice-looking sort of, is it a MacBook, is it not a MacBook, generic-looking laptop i went a step further i thought wouldn't it be cool if the new librem 13 was working with the elementary guys and it was going to be like the exclusive way to get the librem 13 like the 13 inch version of the librem 15 i'm speculating this based on you know just guesswork and i think that yeah part of it is if he's left system 76 he's done so so that he's not you know he's not competing with them with his own company i think it would make sense for him to leave but if, uh, if i was in the case, where he worked at system 76 i thought it was uh, cassidy that worked there it is not, yeah. i thought they both did yeah they, they both did. Uh, yeah they both. yeah and cassidy is now working full-time for elementary os right as of was that no i know that, no, no, that, that, that was daniel yeah that was daniel cassidy yeah, still cassidy at system still works. Yeah. yeah so who knows we'll have to wait a few days and see Mm-hmm. Yes, Whoa. three days to be precise. <laughs> Just leave the counter running. On I know, right? right? You know, I don't. I don't I... think it's going to be a. <laughs> Go ahead. You don't think it's going to be hardware? I don't think it's going to be a a Librem exclusive though. 
Oh, okay. oh no, it might be hardware, yeah. but I don't think it will be um, Librem because uh, they they've announced that they're going to ship with um, school. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I was just having fun because <laughs> they have a whole new website on their beta dot which could be. It has a store page. It's only for t-shirts and stickers at the moment. Hmm. It would be ideal to stick a laptop there, or it could just be or a new maybe website. A- crowdfunded campaign for a laptop maybe maybe that would yeah. yeah or maybe they're just gonna update their website and integrate their patreon <laughs> yeah maybe they'll oh, just turn their beta their beta side oh. into a regular side yeah oh, there uh, you go there you go everybody guilt trip 2.0 you know you have to be careful because you burn some serious capital when you do these announcements and if it doesn't go anywhere uh, so you gotta be careful yeah no it, it, doing it for a website is a mistake it's it's a 101 mistake it's no you yeah. don't yeah, no. that'd be, be funny to follow up on that next week, though. Uh, so, I, yes, the solid and continuous drum beat, drum beat, drum beat goes on for Linux Fest Northwest 2015, April 25th and 26th. Linux Fest Northwest 2015, April 25th and 26th. Because uh, I want to see it, so that's why I keep talking about it. I just have a really quick update. Uh, thank you to everybody who went to meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting. We now have 77 people there. I'm going to declare the meetup officially a success, and we're going to keep it around. In fact, 79 of you now, as I refresh the page, have gone to meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting, and that's a good thing because guess what? Linux Unplugged. If I'm now, Hold on. I'm going to do some quick math, so if I'm wrong, <laughs> forgive me. But I think as we do episode 87, that would technically mean, assuming we don't miss a week. Right. Episode 100 is a lucky 13 weeks away, and if I am doing my math correctly, I think that puts us like early July, like uh, July 7th. Let's see what today is. Yeah. yeah. Sounds plausible. Okay. So I'm thinking around then, we do episode 100 in person, and we organize here on this meetup page. Meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting will celebrate episode 100 of Linux Unplugged in person if everything goes as planned, and we will coordinate on this meetup page. Right now, it's Linux Fest Northwest. In the future, it'll be events when we travel to your area, and things like episode 100 of Linux Fest. Or, I'm sorry, uh, 100 of Linux Unplugged. And, of course, the chat will probably double-check my math for me. Gives so, a rough idea, though, right? So I'm really glad. I'm really happy. Like, with 70, 80 people, I think that's totally worth keeping that meetup, even though there's a monthly fee. It seems pretty worth it to me. So I think so. Yeah, yeah thanks, everybody. And uh, can't wait to see those of you who are going to make it to Linux Fest, and we'll do updates for Linux Fest there. Boy, episode 100, lucky 13 weeks. I think that's right. I think that's right. It's been an amazing ride, and uh, one of the reasons we're able to get that far is because of our next sponsor, and that's Ting. Go to linux.ting.com. Why? Well, because putting Linux in your browser's URL bar is awesome and putting linux.ting.com in there supports this show and gets you a $25 discount off your first ting device or if you have a ting compatible device you're going to get some ting service credits what is ting oh i'm sorry did i get ahead of myself i thought you knew because it's so awesome ting is mobile that makes sense it's my mobile service provider and Matt's mobile service provider. i've been using ting for over two years and i love it i just recently got up on the ting gsm beta and my nexus 5 my nexus 5 has like dual personalities like all of a sudden it's what it's just what all its whole life is walking around talking cdma no cdma this cdma that's better with the trees pacific northwest has trees cdma is better and then one day ting releases the gsm sim for nine dollars well, Ting's got no contracts, no termination fees, and you only pay for what you use. So I was like, well, what's the cost? $9. I could try it with the GSM, and I'm really at almost nothing. So I got the GSM sim, pop it in my Nexus 5, set that bad boy up for GSM, and now all of a sudden my, my Nexus 5 is a totally new person. It's walking and talking GSM, putting the CDMA down like a clown. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I feel empowered because I've got everything. It's unlocked. It's my Nexus 5. I'm paying just for what I use. Ting just takes my minutes, my messages, my megabytes. They add them all up at the end of the month. Whatever bucket. 
I fall into, that's all I got to pay. And they have a great control panel that lets me manage all of that, and I nickname my devices so I know when Rekai's been calling the ladies too much or if I've been downloading too much Spotify <laughs> while I drive between the studio. I can manage all of that stuff using my Ting dashboard, and if I ever get stuck, I don't worry because they got no-hold customer service. You just call them at 1-855-TING-FTW anytime between 8 a.m. or 8 p.m., and a real human being answers the phone. They're empowered to solve your problems. They're not just a bunch of drones that read a script. That ain't how Ting roll. They're like, hey, you're a phone geek? Oh, you are passionate about phones? Here's an idea. Why don't you work supporting phones? You like Android? All right, sucker, sit here. No, I'm kidding. I love you guys. I just could never do it. That's why I love you guys. 1-855-TING-FTW. Try it. You can talk to a real human being. And after all of that, after all of that, if you go to linux.ting.com right now, and you already have a compatible device, and chances are you do because they have so many GSM devices, you get a $25 service credit. But you're like, Chris, bro, man, I made a mistake. I went over to this duopoly. I signed up for this horrible contract where they extort money out of me. I feel like a clown. I'm like, man, I hear you. Here's the thing. Ting has an early termination relief program. What? Yes, an early termination relief program. They'll help you pay to get out of your contract because you know why? Ting freaking hates contracts. They're silly. Go to linux.ting.com. And a big thanks to Ting for sponsoring. The Linux Unplugged program. Woo. Man, those guys. Loving it. I'm telling you, though, I, I'm i feeling like I'm ready to upgrade to a Cadillac. The Samsung S6 is calling my name. I want to put that S all over the Ting network. I tell you what. <laughs> I just want to put it all over. Just get all over the place. Yeah, I've been right. looking at actually investing in one of those little uh, GSM doohickeys because I got an old Razor, you know, mm-hmm. in conjunction with my existing Ting mm-hmm. phone. I have this old Razor. It's like, well, this might be kind of a nice you know, as a thinking, backup phone. You I was know? thinking if I don't go S6, if I don't go Cadillac, uh-huh. why don't I do this? Feature phone with battery for days because Ting, you can get them from Ting for like under 70 bucks. So I get a feature phone with battery for days and then I get a Nexus 9 with the GSM SIM. Put the Ting GSM SIM in the Nexus 9. So I do my telegramming, my hangouts, my web browsing on the Nexus 9. And I do my, my old school phone calls, which right. I do like two or three a day of tops, maybe, right. from my old school flip phone with battery for days. I'm just saying I could do it. I, why not? Just Makes sense. Battery for days. Okay, so I had a real rough day. Uh, I came in. Uh, and uh, I could not uh, get my computer to start. I sat down at my desk, turned on the nice Asus monitor that I am quite proud of acquiring. I stare at a screen, and it's nothing but errors, Matt. Nothing but errors. And if you're watching the video version of the Unplugged program, I'm going to pull those errors up on my screen right now. It was devastating. It starts as this. Booting the Linux kernel, starting version 2.18. Well, yeah, you know what that is. And then, hold on a second... Info, task mount 175, blocked for more than 120 seconds. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Task butter FS, transaction 197, blocked for more than 120 seconds. Uh-oh. And that's all it ever did. And then I now, now of course, so here's Chris's, here's Chris's conundrum. Chris has a show he has to go to, and he needs a computer <laughs> right now. Like, I do not have really, like, so, my, so, so here's what runs through my head when my most important computer doesn't boot, I think to myself. Well, I should go grab a live USB stick and probably boot in there and see if I can get the main OS up and just, you know, maybe root in there and get everything I need and then fix it later. Like, I'm starting thinking, like, maybe I could, like, zombify this thing and, like, prop it up and, like, get in there, get my work done for the day, and then, like, get out before the whole thing collapses out from underneath me. And I'm like, nah, I'm not going to do that. Okay, so I'm starting to think, okay, what are my other options? Well, I had just the night before installed um, Ubuntu Mate 1504 uh, Beta 2, I think it is right now. I think that's the current one. Sounds nice. right. Yes. And, uh, and so I had a USB stick already flashed. I love, you know what, also, props to Ubuntu Mate. Um, 
really, I, I think the only distro where you just go to their website and the download links and, they, and, and you put DD Rescue up there, the command to run. And you just make it real clear. Use DD Rescue to write this to an ISO to a thumb drive. Everybody else always recommends DD. And a lot of times they don't just clearly put the command right there above the download links. It makes it so clear. And the fact that you also update the name of the ISO image so you literally could just copy that whole command is, is, is just brilliant. It is so helpful because I myself always end up using DD and I forget to use DD Rescue, which is way better to write an ISO f- file to a flash drive. So anyways... Props to Matei. So I had this thumbstick ready to go, and I needed to get working right here, right now. So I stick the Ubuntu Matei 1504 USB thumb drive into my rig, I reboot, and I get into the desktop environment. It's pretty snappy. In fact, it's unbelievably snappy. It's so fast that I was, I was grousing to Rikai, who was standing over me, because you know, he's, he's trying to console me as I'm in, as I'm, as I'm. Uh, as I have been mortally wounded, and I'm and and and, and this gray screen comes up, and I start grousing. Oh man, now I gotta wait for the fancy grub screen to render because because this monitor's so large. And anytime there's a big graphical grub screen comes up, it slowly paints onto my screen, and I'm, I'm sitting here grousing about that. And what I realized was is that actually wasn't the case at all. It I, what I thought was the grub screen was actually X11 starting. It had booted so fast. That I thought I was waiting for Grub, and I was actually waiting for the entire <laughs> desktop. It was amazing. It boots so fast. It was so cool. So I was like, "All right, install." <laughs> I'm like, after that, I'm like, "That's it. That's all I needed. I just needed my computer to be really fast, and I just want to get back to work as fast as possible. I've got to do some clipping." And so I I installed Ubuntu Mate on my main workstation. This is my rig up in my office, and uh, I used it for a couple of days. A day, I think I used it for a day actually, mm-hmm. and I ran into a couple of issues. First of all. I'm just I'm here's the here's the thing you don't want to do. It's not really a great idea to use a beta version on your main workstation because so many of the PPAs out there don't work with it. They they expect you to be on a released version of Ubuntu. So as soon as you start setting up PPAs for like themes or like a calendar widget or whatever, you just start getting 404s in your app get update like an animal constantly. It's just a horrible mess. And then you end up, like, you know, having to go out there and pull some of them out. So that was a bit disappointing. And things like Telegram not working sort of were deal breakers for me. And I ended up going back with Antigros because it was, it was so early in the process I could jump back. Uh, so now I'm sort of at square, square zero and sort of setting up and trying to get advice from the audience on what should I try? Because I haven't set this machine up in about a year and a half. So what would you try at this point? And I've already got some base stuff on there. But I have to say... Uh, it was pretty slick. So here's so a couple of things I did in Ubuntu Mate 1504 is I used uh, Ubuntu or I'm sorry uh, Mate Tweak to um, turn on Compass and to set my style so it had like a more of a bar layout that I liked quite a bit and that was really really easy to set up really slick. Uh, I I decided I opted to use the new Mate menu uh, and I was pleased to see that Super Key activated that. So I was all really good. The main problems I ran into with the mate menu were like sometimes when I hit the super key, it would pop up behind other windows. So when I would type, I couldn't see the results. And sometimes it was a little delayed in popping up. So I'd probably still, if I was going to stick with that desktop, I would probably use a dedicated launcher like Synapse or Gnomedo or whatever the hell. Uh, but uh, it's, it's it's such a nice setup. Like I, I was using that and I could physically, I just felt my computer was like, it felt like it was running faster. And I, I really was impressed by that. So Ubuntu Mate Edition 1504 is looking really sharp. I ended up keeping it on the computer I'm setting up for my son. 
So he'll be running that for a while. And uh, I'm now running Antigros with GNOME 3 on uh, my main office workstation. And it was tough. It was tough. It was really tough. Now, did anybody catch that error message and maybe what was the problem? Yep. Oh, you did, Popey? Yeah, so um, how long did you leave it after the four minutes <laughs> and that, the, that error uh, message I, coming no, out? I actually left it all overnight. And it like just, that, yeah, overnight? Yeah, and it just kept repeating the same message. Interesting. Yeah. So my home server running ButterFS does that now and again, and all I do, uh, but that's after it's booted, like, and it's fine, and it's up. I just SSH in and echo zero as it says, and then I never see that error message again, because uh, it's only an informational message to say, yeah. holy crap, there's a yeah. truckload of I.O. going on well, right now. Well, uh, here's what you I know, think it is. Busy. I think Blackout24 is calling it right now in the IRC, and I think Groove Chicken in our subreddit called it. Another Butterfest gotcha has been added to the gotcha wiki entry for ButterFS. <laughs> That's how I see it. Stable kernel versions 3.19.1 can cause a deadlock at mount time. That's one of the new gotchas mm, in the ButterFS. Nice. And I think this is exactly what happened to me. I think, this is ex- I think as I'm on a rolling release, you know, I'm on a rolling release. And they wanted the packages with systemd and ButterFS, right? What's that? And they want to do the packages with systemd and ButterFS. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, so there are workarounds. So if I would have looked this up, there's workarounds. But you know what? This is what I came to. I am so effing done with effing ButterFS. It is not even funny. So when I, I, I was like, you know what? I don't care that I can fix this. I'm going XFS. So what I decided to do is my boot partition, which is about 250 megabytes, is extended for. Everything else on the system is XFS. My, my root file system, my home partition, my editing partitions, my gaming, all XFS, only XFS. ButterFS is dead to me. This is the second system I have, to quote unquote, kind of soft loss to ButterFS. As in, I could have fixed it if I really effing wanted to. In the Bonobos case, I would have had to format. And in this case, I would have had to do a workaround for the timeout. And it's stupid. It's a clown file system. It's nowhere near ready, close to quality of ZFS. And XFS has a rich history behind it and probably has another 20 years left of development in it. So for my taste, I'm going XFS on everything that's important to me. My back-end storage, I'm not even going to use a Linux file system. I'm going to use ZFS. Well, and that makes sense to me for a number of reasons. One thing that I thought was interesting is that when you all these ButterFS issues, it doesn't after a while feel like you're almost a battered spouse. Well, I mean, it, it, it's it's. A, it, I mean, I realize in some scenarios it's fine, and I realize if you yeah. have great backups, it's fine. Yeah. But yeah, it's it is because awful. because it's like, well, I can fix it. Well, he's gonna he's gonna change. You know, it's essentially what this is. Well, you could, you know, you just gotta give it. You just gotta deal with this one issue, and it'll be better tomorrow. Because that's essentially what oh, it is. You know, so often though, and so often like generally software improves. But yeah. uh, here, so Fedora twenty two, the server uh, spin of Fedora will be using XFS by default rather than extended four. Uh, using yeah. XFS has been the default within LVM as part of the Fedora Server technical spec. While Fedora 22 is finally going to go official, the default layout Fedora Server 22 installations will be using XFS atop of LVM while boot is outside the LVM setup. That's exactly what I'm doing. The boot is going to be extended for outside that, and I'm going to go just XFS, and I'm going to use LVM to do my, my drives, and this is – I'm done. I'm done with ButterFS. I'm just going to use LVM and XFS and call it good. Uh, and and I just feel like I, I, you can consider me the canary in the coal mine or not. I, I, I at this point will not be recommending ButterFS to listeners. I tried it on, and I yeah. still have. The scary thing is that what I'm worried about now is I still have very important computers in production using ButterFS. 
That is frightening because, I mean, if you think about it, I mean, at the end of the day, you're talking about using a file system, not an application. If, you're, if the file system's got issues that need to be corrected, there's red flags all over that. I'm sorry. So, yeah, forget that. Nope. Anybody in the lumber room? Any, uh, any, uh, any uh, opinions or thoughts on the file system topic before I move on to the software section? And here I am on XT4, perfectly fine. Yeah, I suppose. The yeah, same as so am I. Yeah, I know. It's just so boring. <laughs> I'm no. an old though. <laughs> the thing I like about XFS is, uh, uh, and, and I, I, you know, we've gone in great detail before. It's but fast. Yes, it's very fast. It handles fragmentation better, too. Oh, does it? Oh. No, that's and and snapshotting, whereas uh, Cinefort does not. Nice. And I've actually used XFS hmm. in production um, years ago, uh, back when, like, Extended 2 was going to Extended 3. And RiserFS was still pretty popular, and I had—I really never had any problems with it. Uh, and uh, uh, yeah, CoreOS is also yeah, disk full errors. Yes, exactly. Yes, I know. I know CoreOS has ran into the same issues. And so, uh, if you are not really familiar with XFS, does it sound like an alien file system to you? Uh, well, there is a really, really comprehensive write-up on LWN.net that uh, I will share. I've, I, I guess as a subscriber, I can share a free link. I don't know if there's a limit or how it works. but uh, So I've put a free link in the uh, show notes because they just wrote it on the first by Jake Edge. And it covers uh, the background of XFS, uh, how it came from IRIX, the shift of XFS's development to Linux, um, really back in 2001. And uh, in 2002, it was merged into Linux kernel 2.536. So it's been a available Linux kernel file system since kernel 2.5.36. That's way longer than ButterFS. Uh, and the fundamentals of a file system is, is you really don't consider a file system to be production ready until it's been in use, you know, five, seven years. I mean, that's what conservative people that trust their that want to be able to trust their data considered but rfs obviously doesn't meet that uh, uh level of uh, qualification xfs does um and I think Linux is in a pretty, 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 pretty pathetic file system state. From ButterFS, GlusterFS, uh, Extended 4 just being sort of a stopgap measure, uh, the fact that we can't get ZFS into the Linux kernel, where the hell is that going to leave Linux file systems in 5 to 10 years? It's pretty pathetic. And I'm not so sure ButterFS uh, is going to get there. Maybe, maybe it will, but it's not going to get there for me. And I think there's other distribu- I'm sorry, other operating systems that are way ahead of Linux right now in this area, and I think it's kind of pathetic. Actually, actually, uh, there is things in the baking uh, area. I know that it, that we kind of have everything in the baking section and stage. You know, yeah, but here's the there thing: is these. I think, just a few I minutes ago, though, uh-uh, just a few minutes ago, you're the market lead guy with Docker, and now you, this is seriously. This is why it's pathetic, and this is why I'm actually a little panicky about it. Is because Linux needs to be about five to seven years into a effing incredible file system right now. Because you can't even really seriously consider a file system until it's been in widespread production for a few years. And I'm sorry, but ButterFS at Facebook isn't going to cut it for me anymore. I don't know. They so, have. You know what I think it is? is well, I think Facebook has too narrow of a usage range to really be putting ButterFS or its paces at scale. It, it really is about different usages. Like when you're talking about in the server side, people care about one thing. When you're talking about the desktop side, people care about the other thing. So I don't know. You, you're, you're, I think you're people, perfectly no, fine I, I think, when you say ZFS. Maybe on the server side, currently is years ahead in so many ways. But when you're talking about having uh, your system being using Linux all over, of course, people are trying things that work with Linux, right? I, I think and uh, that's why there is a big push for ButterFS. Otherwise, 
People wouldn't care. I, I think a file system that has ghost metadata that eats up your system and says drive is full affects laptops, phones, and servers and VPSs. Yes. That's just why it's the same across the board. And I think a and I think a file system that uh, falls apart when you update your kernel and has to have an ever expanding of gotchas that include constant regressions is not a production ready file system. Yeah. And those things and affect desktop Linux servers. I don't care what your use case is. The only use how case. Many? No, I'm asking just how many laptops are being shipped with one with Linux and two with BitRFS. If you answer that question, this is my point. We don't have an answer to that question. There is no answer to that question. Like we want to be doing those things. Are we going to ship it with ButterF? No, of course not. We can't. We don't have a serious file system. Yeah, I I, I disagree on that stance. At this point, it'd probably be safer to form a regular user. A regular user, ext4 does whatever. Sure, you fine. Need. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, you know what? HFS does whatever you need too. HFS five plus is fine. It's fine. Most people don't care. I would rather Chris, use. Let's face it. I would rather use NTFS. I don't. Of course, most people don't care. That's all we talk about is things that most people don't care about. That's our entire world is things most people don't care about. We care though. We should care. And Linux should be better. This is the world's premier open source operating system, and we have the biggest joke file system in on the planet. It is a joke. Since we don't have the the desktop market share, I think that the fact that there is one efforts in the direction of having something that will work for the desktop as well and something that does work for the server space, it, I think it's having in the baking stage something that is progressively improving is good since we don't have the desktop market share. I mean, we will have the things to enter that market with strong, with strength. We currently are not in the market, but it's not because of the file system. Because if that was the cause, the no, only no. reason we weren't in the desktop, no, will definitely, no, 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 absolutely not. And I think it'd be silly to talk about that. What's really more important is the server market share that we're going to lose to FreeBSD and ZFS. But Ryan, I wanted to give you a chance to talk about uh, your concerns with ButterFS. Well, um, I, I've had one bad experience, but to be honest, it was similar to yours, where I was running something that was, you know living on the bleeding edge. Uh, but I, I've had uh, this laptop that I've been running. Uh, it's a System76 laptop, and I've been running ButterFS and not running Arch. I'm, I'm running, I jump between Evolve and, uh, or Salus, sorry, and uh, Arch. And I've never, and I've ne- or not Arch, uh, Ubuntu, and I've never had a problem so far. Maybe it's because I'm not sitting right there on the bleeding edge. Well, edit. I would say too, if you're gonna, here's my here's my bit of advice. If you want to use ButterFS, use an LTS kernel. And I think it'll probably be safer because I don't think the LTS kernels are going to introduce major ButterFS errors. So if you're if you've decided that uh, ButterFS is fancy enough for you, you maybe want to consider an LTS kernel. Uh, here's what I've decided to do. So I'm going to do uh, rolling release again, but I'm going to stick with a, a better file system, uh, XFS. Currently running GNOME 3.14.2 with Chrome and Firefox and ba- basic packages like Samba, Fuse, Dropbox, uh, Infidelity Fonts, um, Handbrake, Fish, Git, Haroopad, YouTube Download. I have, a, I have a couple of things I wanted to get your all opinion on here. I've got two 600 gigabyte 10K RPM SATA drives that I would like to software mirror or something to use for my editing and Steam library. And I was curious what the mumble room thought I should use as far as software rate. Currently, my thought was LVM and then format it with XFS. But, you know, there's MDM admin. There's a lot of, there's a lot of ways to skin that cat under Linux. So does the mumble room have any opinions on the best way to take advantage of those two 600 gigabyte drives? 
more yeah, I remember use ButterFS. <laughs> I've actually gotten that suggestion. And I'm going more for speed, not redundancy. Too. So I'd probably use like a RAID 0. No? Okay. Well, I think I'm going to do LVM. Well, if you, if you want to get change to happen in this area, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take conversations in the community like this one and with, you know, those guys who run the different distributions like Ike and you know, other people contribute to distributions of trying to decide, you know, what, what really serves the end user best, at least in the desktop space, in the, in the, in the server desk- space, they think about, about this more. They've already made decisions. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I think in the desktop, actually, OverlayFS has a, a very, ten- hmm. if they can make it actually happen, it's one of the most appealing things. It's like you having the ability to section, to have sections in your uh, file system, but you don't have much work or configuration to do, which deal with different data differently, like media files being head- handled internally as large blocks and thus faster to access those, and smaller files to have, like, there are the system files to have redundancy, ButterFS-like. Yeah. And these are the capabilities that that file system has yeah. that for a regular user probably matter more because he doesn't want to manage things. He just wants to have the diversity of files he uses daily and use it and still have same speed or better speed for each type of file specifically. So uh, I think that there's no other place currently doing a file system like that. So that could be something maybe like to toy around with. That's That sounds like, you know, that could be an area to play with some more. Um, I've noticed a couple uh, common packages that I don't currently use that the audience is using a lot of in this uh, subreddit thread. RTorrent seems to be the popular uh, BitTorrent client followed by uh, QTorrent. Um, yeah, that would be. Yeah. yeah, not too surprising. A lot of people using Fish, the term of the shell. I use Fish as well, Fish shell. Uh, so that's not – and a lot of mPlayer or MPV. And uh, I've noticed, uh, of course, a lot of, a lot of things like Redshift or uh, Xflux, oh, yeah. VLC, uh, Gnome Tweaks. Of course, Emacs and Pi, <laughs> uh, Samba, Plex, Steam. So here, I when I when I first get my my machine set up, I find I I have to do a couple of things. First, I install uh, Packer or PackAUR, then I install Dropbox, and then I install Chrome, and that that gets me super far. Chrome and Dropbox alone, I'm a little ashamed to say, have really made reloading my machines a lot simpler. Uh, and then after that, I layer on uh, BitTorrent Sync or whatever, like or C file, and, and you know, for this machine, this machine uses C file. Um, and I don't know how comfortable I am with that because I'm getting my. It free- does feel like you're married to it a little bit, right? Because yeah. if it's something, if something goes away, Dropbox does a, a does a wonky and whatever is no longer an option. Then plus, what? You and know plus, it's like here's it. my free Linux workstation yeah. that becomes right. functional because I set up Dropbox and Chrome. Yeah, no, <laughs> I hear you. Feels a little, but then again, maybe it's just not something I shouldn't worry about. I, I, I don't know. But uh, so within a couple of hours, I was able to get up and running again. And uh, it does the AUR does make getting software installed uh, very fast. But um, I ended up going with GNOME three simply because I'm looking forward to GNOME sixteen. But I seriously considered just going Mate. I wonder if I would be able to get a, a Mate experience as good as the Ubuntu Mate one. I don't know if I would. Maybe I'd be left a little uh, a little unsatisfied. So I went GNOME three because I want to try out GNOME three dot sixteen. Now, the the only big piece I'm missing is like, what should I do in case this ever happens again? And I don't, no. I don't like. Should I do DD backups? Should I do um, image backups using uh, like a part image or uh, or Clonezilla? I mean, what should I do? I think 
I think if it's a machine that you need up and running, like in a reason without yeah. having to screw with yeah. it, I think yeah, I think an image backup makes sense in that regard. But at the same time, you then have to think about okay, are you what are you backing up? Are you backing up actual data partitions as far as like your user data? Which obviously that needs to be far more frequently in the weekly you might be doing with your. Uh, well, and I almost wonder like would it be possible yeah, to do tough. something like uh, like oh my drive died? I just plug in this USB drive and I could literally just boot from that. You could, yeah. yeah Wimpy, you, uh, could. you had some R snapshot. Go tell me about yeah. that. I know, I'm semi familiar well, with it. Yeah, if you're backing up, you're talking about backing up data or bare metal restoring. I don't know. I'm, I'm curious. If maybe I actually want to go full bare metal just for total, like you know, all my software's right back where it is. Everything's totally configured. Yeah. So you were saying about you depend on Chrome and Dropbox. So I depend on Firefox, LastPass. Yeah, LastPass. Then, yeah. And then yeah. still at the moment, um, BitTorrent Sync, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which which I use for syncing my roaming profiles. And once I bring, so I need Firefox BT Sync to get to my password for my main <laughs> BT Sync server to get my keys, and then uh, sync my roaming profile. And once I've got that, I'm back up and running. You know, all of my applications are configured. So. I don't need to do a bare metal restore. I can do a fresh install and then just yeah. plonk my profile. I am on considering and I'm, just I'm doing that. Go. I am considering just doing that, but it's, it, I, I, I feel like there's a, such a long tail of configuration after a clean install because I have so many little things I need to do, so many little tools that I have to install that it, it feels like if I could just if I could just plug so, something in and almost lose no time, it would be such a nice dream. So. Yeah, well, our snapshot's great for, um, you know, incremental backups of your, like your home directory, for example. Your first backup is a full backup and everything thereafter is an incremental and it uses hard links. So it uses um, rsync underneath and hard linking so that the subsequent backups are only the incrementals. And consequently, because it's all hard linked, you just go to any dated folder and you can just copy the whole thing you know, out of there. So you can rsync the whole backup folder at whatever point you want to restore. And it all is just there, simple. So there's no, you know, untar it, find this version, what was my encryption phrase, you know. So if you want to stick it on an encrypted um, USB drive, that's kind of simple. Um, yeah. And then you've got things like Deja Dupe if you want to send it offline, you know, fully encrypted. And duplicity is what runs underneath that. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I'm a duplicity guy myself. Yeah, I just can't decide, like, do I want just the data? Because I kind of have the data solved now through different sync services. Or do I really want, like, a full turnkey, plug this USB drive in and I boot up solution? I feel like that's kind of the way I go. And I'm not sure. Well, like, here, maybe we're overthinking it. Maybe you just need a generic setup on a, let's say, an external drive. Okay, it's maybe, blank. Yeah. It's empty. It has, it has no personality at yeah. all. And then you're syncing your profiles to that drive. Mm. Oh, shit. Everything went to hell. Okay, whoop-de-doo. I plug in that right. drive. Grab I my escape hatch drive. <laughs> you're done. It literally takes it, – it's yeah. just it, – and the entire t- downtime is as fast as it takes to boot up into it. Yeah, Mondo Rescue Micro 89 in the chat yeah. room uh, pointed out uh, Mondo Rescue, which is one that I've talked about a couple of times. Mondo's cool. I don't know if the – is the project still getting updated? I think it is. Oh, it I is. Think look at this. Is. Mondo yeah, Rescue version 3.2.0 came out on 2015 of January 3rd. 
So. Then there's also like what Amanda, I think. So you know what? I might give Mondo a try after the show tonight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a few other ones. Out but there. I'm just saying, for the short term, consider that though. I mean, literally, it's it's yeah, at least it solves all running. your issues quickly. Yeah, just it would, done. You it know? would get me up. There's just I'm worried about the Arson fine nuances of all the, like the like having like all my Chipichiki set up and Thunderbird and getting like uh, you know all my messaging yeah. programs oh, and all, all my wine hacks. Like I, right, I have several programs right. that, like take a lot of custom versions of wine and uh, I would do both because I'm paranoid. I would do both because then you have your nuances done with your imaging. Yeah. But then again, it's like, okay, I don't really have time to wait for that restoration. I just need yeah. to plug and go. Yeah, there's, then yeah. you, have your, you have a quick and dirty machine. Yeah. Daredevil, yeah. you want to make a comment on uh, torrent clients? Yeah. I'd just like to mention Tribbler, Tribbler.org. It's a kind of a new project, and they are pretty much backing up uh, – Using the same similar infrastructure to Tor, mm, yes. uh, and wow. it's like for you to search torrents, so you don't have to go to the tracker anymore, and pretty much making it impossible to shut down trackers. Interesting. Wow. I just linked in chat. So, Ryan, I like yeah, that's an interesting project. Tribbler.org. T R I B L E R. Ryan, you had a comment on building backup into Linux. 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 Yeah, I mean, what a. Uh... Uh, Ike has said before that he's been considering and working on something, throwing something into Solus right into the actual distribution that can handle uh, backups. Right, yeah. I know that Ubuntu had Ubuntu 1, and there was some really good perks to that, but, but we really are lacking in uh, in it, something that's built into the, to the actual operating system that allows you to do all sorts of things like jump back, you know, easily to a previous uh, state and also, you know, handle yeah. your normal backup. And so it definitely could uh, be I'd a like great, see that could be a great uh, feature add to, for a distro to bring in and say, look, our distro has really solved this problem. You know what maybe I should do, Matt? Maybe this would solve my problem. I got an idea. I should just get ah. my butt over to Linux Academy. They've got courses on backing up your Linux rig, building it with rsync or whatever else you might need. Go to linuxacademy.com slash unplug. Get our special 33% discount. Linux Academy is a sponsor of the Unplug program because they know you guys are exactly the audience they need to reach out to. And I love the fact they're giving you a 33% discount to really make sure that you go try it. That's a great value because they keep adding content all the time. Plus, you get access to their entire content catalog. You're going to get step-by-step video courses, downloadable comprehensive study guides. And when you need it, their, their labs just spin up for you, your server on demand. You get SSH access to that bad boy, and you're working with the real technology. Plus, since you're choosing from 7-plus Linux distributions, you're either going to be familiar with your environment or you're going to help bridge the knowledge gap you need to take over a different environment. You get to keep track of your progress as you go along. I think this is a really nice dashboard. It's a really sweet system, and they can also help give you little reminders like, hey, bro, you got a test coming up. You should probably study. I'd be like, oh, thanks, Linux Academy. You're right. I will study. <laughs> it's nice. They have so many great courses, too, and they really follow the industry trends to make sure that the technology that they're covering is the technology you could go out and implement and get a job, get, get educated, or maybe even get certified. They have so many great success stories. Uh, I have this one here about uh, from uh, – they have the LPIC1 and Linux Plus exams now. You can go take them at Linux Academy and then go take the certification and be officially certified. That's pretty cool. And in fact, they have another big thing coming up on April 16th at 9 p.m. Central. A big content update over at Linux Academy. New stuff coming all the time. It's a really cool platform with uh, solutions available for those of you who have very, very limited time. And trust me, I know how that feels. For those of you who have a lot of time on your hands, they have great packages for you as well. They have community members that are packed full of JB audience members that can help you when you're having a hard time. And they have people that are genuinely passionate about the subject material. 
linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. Take it up a notch. Big thanks to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Unplugged program. And touching on them a little bit, so here recently someone pointed out to me something I didn't know, and they actually have courseware helping you to find work after you've been certified. Yes, it, it is. It's level associate, but yeah, they actually it's literally how to get a Linux job. It's pretty cool. And it's, My it's guy does iron. Lots of, uh, lots of relevant stuff there that just make the resume look great as awesome. well. So we, uh, we've been dancing around it this whole episode, but the Solo S, or I, I'm sorry, there's a new project out there. Hey, everybody, it's called Solo oh. S or Solo S. <laughs> uh, don't call it Evolve OS anymore. No, sir, no, sir. The project name has changed to avoid unnecessary legal action. Oh, boy. So uh, we have Ike and uh, Ryan here. Ike, do you want to uh, tell us what happened there? Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, that was a fun week. Um <laughs> Yeah, I've really loved how this has really gone. So on April Fool's Day, of all days, um, I basically got an email come through and it said that I was getting a letter coming through as well, which is like, okay, this is just pure lulls. So I was like, yeah, yeah. okay. Um, so I ended up phoning up the people involved, you know, independently, finding the, the, the phone number for this place separately. And it actually does check out. So I was like, ah. Um, so... Yeah, so the trademark is uh, is very, very much uh, specific to the UK. So uh, a couple of months ago, we were having problems with people, a uh, completely unrelated incident, by the way, but we were having problems with people, you know, trying to assert ownership over the brand. Um, so I took a couple of steps, and I basically went ahead and put in a trademark application, um, not to be a patent troll, but just to stop people trying to pull one over on the project. So that was like... So in the UK, that happens for a couple of months, and it's put up so people can, you know, they can object to it and say, hey, we own that, which someone did. And it's held by the Secretary of State in the UK, and they own the trademark for OS, um, which I did not see coming. Wow. Um, wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Really? So, wow. I, mean, I could understand if it was Evolve. Like, when I was reading through the letter, I was looking for the word Evolve. But no, it was for OS. I was like, are you kidding me? Um, That's... So, yeah, I mean, that absolutely and utterly sucks. So it's like, you know, that's one thing that Linux projects have traditionally done to to avoid that kind of thing, um, like have a suffix of OS or Linux or something like that. So, yeah, I mean, that absolutely and utterly sucks. So we went through on Google Plus for a couple of, well, I think it was about two days, asking for suggestions, doing an IRC, and, you know, we got absolutely nowhere with a, with a fitting name. So I just went back to a name that we've used before, which was Solus, but without the OS part. Oh, okay. So you're saying that elementary OS is also violating that trademark. Interesting. No, that's not what I'm saying. Um, this is UK specific, right? Yeah. But if they it's ever not an, get into that market... No, it's not, an inter- it's not an international trademark. This is a UK application. So this doesn't right. affect anyone else abroad. And <sighs> because the project doesn't have a legal entity, I am... That, that legal entity. Right. So I represent it, and even if I had like the the trademark and the website and everything done abroad, I'm still operating in this country, and you know right. I still right. fall under UK legislation, so I can't use that suffix, right. which absolutely sucks. But you know, you adapt. <laughs> yeah, that's all so you can do. That's a hell of an April Fool's Day. Uh, and so, how has the community responded to the name change? Everybody must be pretty understanding, I would assume. Uh, luckily, yeah. Um, you know, that does help. <laughs> like, surefire way to kill your project. Um, so, there's been, you know, there's been a few misconceptions about this. I did a, did a couple of posts on Google+. Plus. One of them was Compound Irony, uh, which, which you posted on as well. Um, 
so I mean, everyone's been pretty good about it. The the media, as it were, haven't done such a good job. Um, you know, they're saying it's you know it's totally unrelated to the the old Solus West project, which is nonsense because mm-hmm. evolve. Um, it's really hard not to say that. <laughs> so that that came from the exact same code base as Solus West, the original Solus West, and um, we've sold um, well Solus West two. So. You know, it was always a continuation of under a different name, but it was the only name I could go back to that people would still understand. I'm not getting into trouble. Um, so now it's the Solus operating system, not Solus OS. Um, you know, if, if people want to abbreviate that, I can't stop them. Um, <laughs> right. It's, Solus, it's the Solus project, though, to be clear. So right? the, well, it's. The, the distro part of it is the Solus operating system, okay. and okay. it's it's run by the Solus project, right? <laughs> which is not a company or anything like that. It's just the Solus project, which also owns the budgie desktop project and things like that. It was the only conceivable way I could come up with to get out of it. Um, yeah, so someone's asked a, a question on IRC, mm-hmm. why not evolve operating system? Mm-hmm. So when I was looking into the whole name change thing, it... Basically, if we reduced our name or took away the uniqueness of it, as in Evolve OS, there happens to be this game um, <laughs> called Evolve. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh man, yeah. So it's like, you oh could, come on! <laughs> you could just lowercase oh, the OS instead of being a suffix. It's part of the name, so it's Evolvelos. Or something. <laughs> ev- ev- yeah, ev- right. I can't even say it. <laughs> Evolvelos. <laughs> Yes. Uh, I'd kind of like to also <laughs> add here that the community, uh, at least the community members I spoke to who are, are already active in the project, especially like the art team, actually really enjoyed the opportunity to, especially the art team, actually enjoyed the opportunity to to take this as an because op- evolve, you know, as it stands is is when you think of evolve, you think of like evolution itself and and these different things like that where. As Solus has its own, it's its own thing. So it allows a lot more branding opportunities that that don't aren't necessarily tied to sure, yeah. tied down to that paradigm and everything. And so um, I know that's not that's kind of not really any technical thing, but but at least one sector of the community actually enjoyed the chance to reinvent and and have fun with it. And uh, and that's that's a good. You know, get it. The community seems to have funded that they were trying to be really helpful during the rename. Hmm. And then now they're, they, I didn't hear anybody really say this is, you know, bullshit. I'm, I'm leaving. I'm out of here. They just, they kind of followed us uh, into what else can you do, really? The new uh, age. Yeah, it's not like it's your choice. True. So, I mean, they just, you know, it's understandable. Uh, And it's, it's, it's just hard because you know you don't you wouldn't even I've never even thought of that you guys so it's understandable that that mistake could be made to begin with uh, you know I'm that that's that's a hard hard way to go but you know it's not the name it's not the name that makes the project that's so right I think you guys will be all right so we'll fit we'll follow uh, I have in the show notes I have links to the new Solus project community page on Google Plus. So there's a new community page for people to follow, and I have a link to that in the show notes. And uh, if you guys want to share any other links people need to catch, just drop them in the IRC, and I'll grab them and I'll put them in the show notes too. And then just stop by and let us know how it's going. Yeah, I just posted a link that uh, helps searching for trademarks across the world, such as the EU, which uh, might come in handy. 
tmdn.org. And I will add a link to that in the show notes as well, tmdn.org. And speaking of links in the show notes, if you got bit by that ButterFS kernel 3.19 uh, timeout lockup issue thingy, I just got tweeted by somebody that did. Uh, I'll have a link to uh, the uh, fix that you could apply so that way you don't have to reload your whole rigamadig. Uh, I'll have a link to that in the show notes as well because that's not a lot of fun. Uh, and also, no. don't forget, there's also that great piece from LWN on XFS. I'm just saying, XFS for the future, XFS for the next 20 years, ZFS for everything else. That's all I have to say about that. All right, guys. Uh, Matt, is there anything else we need to cover before we get out of here? Any other shenanigans? Am I forgetting? I think that was everything. No, right? I can't think of anything specifically. Uh, if you guys want to follow the things stuff I'm doing, I'm always at matthartley.com. I do have a couple new things coming out, so subscribe Ooh, yeah. uh, via email or yeah. Facebook or Google+. Yeah, and don't forget, you'll also be able to see Matt and I at Linux Fest Northwest. Linux Fest Northwest. Linux Fest Crap. Northwest, I mentioned that. Oh, and you can talk to us live. Why don't you just come hang out with us live right now in our virtual log uh, over to jblive.tv on a Tuesday. We do the show at 2 p.m. Pacific. Show up around 1.30, 1 o'clock Pacific. Pacific time, I know, right? Go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. Get it converted to your local time. Uh, LinuxActionShow.reddit.com is how you make this show better when you can't be here and contribute. We also have feedback threads over there. Love to hear your thoughts and all of that stuff, including the thread on the things I should install on my rig reload. <laughs> right? Jeez Louise. All right, Matt, I'll talk to you next week. All right, see you then. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in this week's episode of Linux Unplugged. We'll see you right back here for episode 88 next week. I won't lie though. There's nothing like that fresh install feeling. It's like it's like underwear right out of the dryer, right? Yeah, I mean, it am is. I, am I alone in that? And I installed the Nvidia package, and I immediately could feel like it wasn't right. Like something's not right. Oh, I forgot. <laughs> I forgot libgl. Okay, I install that, and then I reboot again. Boom! Now I got a nice, smooth, accelerated desktop. I'm like, oh yeah, it's feeling good. It's feeling fresh. Yeah, I think that's nice. I think it feels real good and real tight, you know. And like, I just installed just the stuff I need, so I only like one. So it's just real clean. Like, I only have a few icons in my side dock. It's looking tight. I like it a lot. Hey, right. Chris, dot com. Yep. I'm going to be sending you an email with some pictures of uh, an Internet of Things device that I've been building with a, a group over here. Is, I think you'll like it. Is it a sex toy? No, but it's built entirely on Linux, and it, okay. all the code base will be open source, and maybe we can send you – it is hardware, so maybe we can send you a little uh, all unit to play right, around with. All right, all that right, all right. Cool. Yeah, I was kind of looking forward to like a saddle with yeah. a pie right. attached or something, right? <laughs> we can't tell you not to use it for that purpose. Wow. If it is ah. a toy, like you've got my email address, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so ButterFS Meltdown's not bad. Take Solus and Solus is not bad. Uh, Just because I, first, uh, I found the link that uh, we mentioned in the beginning. Yeah, well, show you as oh, yeah, 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 oh, right. Yes, yes, yes the, the Microsoft, yeah. uh, the Linux version yeah. one. Yeah, tell me about I it. Couldn't find, I couldn't find in their blog, but I found at least in the answers. Maybe it was moved to the answers, or for some reason I found it uh, uh, related somehow. Installing in Windows stuff. 8 after eight years of Linux. Let me share my experience with Windows 8 after using Linux only for eight years. Oh, my gosh.
Hmm. Oh, it's long. I know. Do me a favor. Drop that in the in the subscribe form. I did. I sent it out. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. Oh, and that uh, that touchpad thing. I sent you the thing in the subscribe. Yes, I see that. Thank you. I will grab that. Yeah, it's not a fix, but it might make it to where you're not bumping up against. It gives a little bit of a delay, and it works. Yeah, it's a hardware fix. So I like that. Yeah. Sin client is our friend. So what do you? Okay, so uh, we could do what happened to Evolve OS. Well, that's not bad. Yeah, we could also do something that's like warning people about ButterFS issues because there could be people listening that run into this problem this week. Uh, yeah. Oh, I'm sure. I it sounds like it's pretty idea. easy to stumble upon. I mean, it's a file system thing. That's kind of a big deal. Yeah, it's, you just need kernel three nineteen and ButterFS, right? That's kind of be. I mean, that's isn't yeah, this going to be brutal for a little while as people update? Is this not going to be a thing, or am I missing something? Well, this isn't well, like, oh, my Wi-Fi went down or something. Features, well, yeah, I mean, or distros won't upgrade to kernel 3.19 yeah. for a while or something like that. But if you're, on a, if you're on a rolling release or a beta release.